Welcome to Faith in Politics. As Christians, we believe our faith should have an effect on every area of our lives, and this includes our politics. But how does this look when it is lived out in public life? How does it affect how we think about particular issues? And how do we put our faith into action? Here at Faith in Politics, we want to explore these questions through interviews with public figures and through biblical monthly musings on particular issues. Hello and welcome to series three of Faith in Politics. You may have noticed that I am not Bethan and this is not Will. We are indeed your new hosts. I'm Cameron Hume. And I'm Rosella Payne. And we're delighted to be with you for this series of Faith in Politics. Yeah, so we really want to start um, with a massive thanks to Bethan and Will, who did an amazing job of season two of Faith in Politics. Um, it really helps us to grapple with some of the big issues and introduce some really interesting people to us. Um, so we really hope to be able to channel their energy this year and to engage with some, again, really exciting debates in a year that's surely going to be very exciting for politics. So Rosella, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Rosella. Um, I've grown up in the glorious town of Bolton, as you might be able to tell from the accent. Um, I've studied international development and environment studies at UEA, in East, that's the University of East Anglia in Norwich, which is an amazing place to be. Um, I enjoyed it so much that I went on to do the same topic as a master's um, in Manchester, which is another great city. Um, and having just finished there, I've moved to London to start the parliamentary internship with the Joint Public Issues team. How about you, Cameron? Yeah, so I've just graduated from Durham University, where I was studying for a BA in Theology. Uh, I am a local preacher in the Methodist Church. Um, I'm originally from Newcastle, even though you might not be able to tell. So you've got two northern presenters on the podcast for this year, so I'm sorry for who that may offend. And I have a minor Billy Joel obsession. There's a fun little fact for you. We've got a great episode lined up for you this month. Uh, Who did we interview, Rosar? Yeah, so we got off to a great start with an interview with Andy Flanagan, who is the Director of Christians in Politics and is a really fascinating person to speak to and to get his perspective of on some of the big issues that our country is facing right now and actually themes that spread across um, the globe, really. Um, so we talked about how to disagree well and to consider the relationships that are central to politics and actually how we can use those to overcome some of the, the division that is being faced yeah we should actually apologize to andy as well we made him walk rather a long way to get to the interview and he had a very bad leg on the day so i don't think he was he was too best pleased with us but he still gave us a great interview uh and then after the interview rosella and i will talk a bit about some of the themes that cropped up in it we'll do our monthly musing looking at some bible passages that might offer an insight into some of those topics so without further ado Let's listen to what Andy Flanagan had to say. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. You have the honour of being the first guest on Season 3 of Faith in Politics podcast, and we're delighted that you can be with us. Uh, So just to kick off, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of what your role is? Oh, it is indeed an honour to be here, Cameron. Thanks for having me. It's great. It's great to be here. Um, Yeah, I'm Andy Flanagan. uh, And as you can tell from the accent, uh, I'm from Luton. uh, And uh, and I lead uh, Christians in Politics, uh, which is a crew of folks. It's designed to network, resource, 
and connect uh, Christians who are getting involved in politics, uh, both within parties and beyond parties, um, and really making the case to the church at large that, that to be engaged positively in politics is a hugely important thing, that it's a biblical thing, and that it's not just an option for just some people, that all of us have to be engaged. Um, so you're obviously um, passionate about getting churches involved in politics. What kind of originally inspired you personally to get involved in politics and justice work more generally? Well, it all started back when uh, I was doing a lot of singer-songwriter work. I was I was uh, working, uh, writing a lot of songs, getting very angry at the state of the world economic system and finding out things about the state of the planet. Um, and then gradually a lot of the NGOs started using my songs, like Christian Aid, Tear Fund, Oxfam, for various campaigns. So I was going to Bangladesh to go and investigate sweatshops and come back, you know, write songs about that, come back, try and rabble rise about those things. And um, same with orphanages in Uganda or you know, other places. And in that era, I guess a lot of NGOs were turning their attention towards advocacy more and more, uh, you know, spending less time fundraising and spending more time, you know, trying to get rules changed, whether it's to do with debt or to do with trade or whatever it was at the time. Um, and so I started meeting a lot more MPs and started meeting um, other parliamentarians as well. And and the more I spent time around parliament, the more I realized that uh, there was no magic dust here. <laughs> there's no there's no magic dust. There's nobody operating on a higher intellectual, spiritual, moral plane and than a lot of the other people that I've been working with for the last decade. Um, and I, I really spotted a real opportunity for people of goodwill and believers to get to get involved. Actually, there's a huge need. There's a huge dearth of creativity and optimism, and a real need for folks to get involved. And so, whole set of doors opened whereby I was helped. I was sort of helping serve into the prayer and worship and Bible study stuff that was happening in Parliament, and then got involved with what was then the Christian Socialist Movement, uh, writing stuff for them, and then ended up by a strange twist of events, ended up actually running that uh, running that movement, and then. Uh, being with that through the name change, the Christians on the left. And then during that time, really realizing the importance, we were trying to convince people of a certain way of looking at things. But uh, before you could even get to the point of people thinking it was worth thinking about politics, we realized there was a lot of foundational work to do. That actually, there were a few kind of theological obstacles that people had about thinking that Christians shouldn't even be bothered in politics, that it wasn't a priority, before we even got to telling them, uh, you know, well, well, what about looking at Jubilee and how that relates to economics and how that relates to, you know, what about the sharing that the New Testament Christians did? How does that relate to economics? People weren't thinking that they should be politically involved at all before you even started thinking about, well, should it be red, yellow, blue, or green mm -hmm. and we realized a huge job needed doing and just taking the message the biblical case god's passion for good governance that it like screams out of every single book of the bible in fact we went through and we we looked at all 66 books of the bible and and, and wrote a little piece in the in the book those who show up that we put together we ended up um sort of collating all the kind of passages and stories that really explain and show god's heart for good governance uh, you know, going right back to the start, right back to Genesis 1, where it's quite clear that Adam and Eve are given this call to public leadership, but it happens before the fall. It's not just politics as a necessary evil to constrain evil. <laughs> it's actually a divine calling, a holy calling to be doing right from the start. You know, it would appear that even management, you know, even perfection needs management, you know, <laughs> and then that's what we'll be doing forever, we're promised, you know, kings and priests ruling and reeling with him forever. And so our, our time here is just, you know, apprenticeship in the in-between time, learning how to do it forever, you know, but actually exercising our leadership in the public square. Um, and so making that case that that's, that's a, that's a bit, that's a response to the reality of what the Bible says, rather than, oh, well, we just, we're, we're, we're Christians, so we should be nice while we're here. And so we should sort of help with a few things. 
you know, trying to bring people on this journey um, from charity to, to justice seeking that, you know, that we could spend the next 50 years, the church in the UK as, you know, as the nation's paramedic, mm-hmm. you know, just treating the victims of a sick system rather than trying to speak truth, justice and righteousness to the system itself. Um, and so we realized in the midst of that role that actually there was a, there was a broader job to do in just making the case for God's passion for good governance and the call for Christians to be standing in public life. That's great, Andy. Uh, thank you. Uh, you've touched on it there, kind of the need for kind of just getting all Christians involved in politics, kind of regardless of, of party. But you've also had that kind of history in the Christian socialist movement and being a bit more kind of party political, a bit more partisan. Is there ever still that kind of tension for you, kind of knowing that you've got your own views, but also knowing that you want to get Christians of all uh, denominations or party affiliations involved in politics? Do you think that, oh, I'm advocating people to get involved in politics, but they're going to be then going on to advocate for policies that I'll disagree with. Yeah, it's it's obviously a tension, but I think if you take a step back to look at the big picture of it all, you know, the reality is over the course of the next 50 years, I suspect strongly that, you know, even with the disruption that Brexit has brought, the reality is we're probably going to have governments of a red hue or a blue hue for the next 50 years, you know, or, you know, and, and plenty of, you know, yellow mixed in there at times, I'm sure, <laughs> you know. And um, so, you know, it's, it's hard not to think that in terms of how the country will be led for the next decades, unless there's a radical change, uh, you know, the, the country will be led by people involved in those parties. And you've got to stop and think, right, okay, well, somebody might be in charge that isn't, you know, of my particular cup of tea, but surely, surely I want... Uh, there to be more people of goodwill and more Christians involved, you know, to make that party the best party it can be to be, you know, to, um, I, you know, I will continue to have, you know, negotiations and discussions and disagreements with people who are involved there, but surely we want as many Christians involved as possible to, you know, to be salt and light in the midst of those entities. Those, those entities aren't going away anytime soon, even if we fundamentally disagree with some of their tenants. You know, they're not going away anytime soon. So, yeah, it's, it's actually just a pragmatic approach, I think, at times that we need to take and say, look, um, if there are Christians who feel it's their call to be involved there, number one, it's, you know, I can have a political opinion, but when you start then questioning somebody else's call, you know, a lot of the time people do feel a call to be involved in things that they don't agree with everything about them, but they feel a call to be involved. So, number one, who am I to question how God might call somebody else to be involved in a certain mm-hmm. part of society, even if it's a part of society that, you know, I don't have a great, you know, pleasure for. And you can apply that to any, you know, whether you could talk, apply that to, you know, hedge fund management or investment banking or being a model or, you know, you could, there's plenty of, plenty of, you know, things in society that I will question and critique. Um, but... Uh, you know, it's probably not all the time my job to be questioning somebody else's call in there. So, and then at times you can actually celebrate that somebody else has been involved in a world that I wouldn't want to be involved in, <laughs> and hopefully being salt and light there. And so, all all you can do is is call people to continue to go back to the biblical text, to go back uh, to some of those precepts that we talked about earlier, to make sure that because all of us who get involved in any party or get involved in any system or structure, whether that's an NGO or whether that's a, a school or whatever, we we. We all get, you know, there are, I think there are particular glories in every sphere of culture and there are particular darknesses in every sphere of culture that inevitably we get tainted by and inevitably we become slightly assimilated by. So it's our challenge is to actually hold each other accountable 
um, rather than just going along with going with the flow in each of these different parties and each of these different areas of culture it's our job surely as believers to actually keep each other accountable and ask ask the difficult questions to say well you know you know you came in saying that you disagreed with that but do you still disagree with that or have you been assimilated into the borg you know for for star trek fans out there you know you, you know and, and and sometimes it's the person from outside who has the ability to ask that with that perspective so i think you know it needs all of us i think i i encounter the same thing to be honest with especially Christians who are very passionate and are thinking a lot, usually around the time of university or maybe just after university, where they're thinking about, well, is it better for me to be involved in research? Actually, because that's where the action is. We should really do research because that's where all the policy stuff comes from. Oh, no, I really need to be a candidate. Oh, I really actually, I want to be involved in community organizing. I want to be involved in grassroots stuff. That would be better. Oh, actually, no, I should really set up some prayer groups. Actually, the intercession is the most important thing. <laughs> actually, no, should I, I think we should be involved in mobilizing the church. And the answer, the answer is all of the above, you know, and we spend so much time going right oh man which is the right one when actually I think God calls different people into different stuff and we need to celebrate what each other are called into rather than sort of spending all our time fighting and saying no my little world is the most important one and you know the Christian world is already full of mostly alpha white males running organizations saying this is the stuff you need to do this is the most important stuff so I'd be really loath to do that <laughs> I think a lot of the time well beyond my sphere of influence well beyond what I understand God's calling people to do other things that are nothing to do with me. You've mentioned the B word somewhere in that answer. <laughs> uh, it was bound to come up at some point. Yeah. It's dominating the political landscape. And you mentioned kind of the assimilation there and kind of almost like people getting so digging their trenches really deep. Um, and that seems to happen a lot with Brexit and people kind of very much not wanting to change their mind. And you've kind of talked recently about kind of there's almost idolatry in some of the political discourse at the moment. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I think uh, it's the only way I can accurately describe what we see going on. The sort of visceral reaction that you're seeing from people who are now willing to sacrifice various things for for their point of view on this. And obviously, as you talked, as you mentioned there, people are digging their heels in further. You see that classic thing that people talk about selection bias, because, you know, I voted this way three years ago. So therefore, I'm now going to interpret everything I see through the yes or the no, through the leave or the, the remain. And, you know, and, and people know that all through history, uh, humankind has sacrificed things to idols. You know, we have worshipped them, but they start to exact a price on us. When things get sacrificed to idols, and I think we're starting to see that in and around the Brexit debate. I think we're starting to sacrifice things like the rule of law. We're starting to sacrifice things like the idea of truth. We're starting to sacrifice, you know, the idea of, of, of civic discourse. There are some really key things are being sacrificed in the midst of that. And, I, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying that from one side or the other. That's just, you know, from, from either side, we're starting to see people putting that stuff, you know, that people are so desperate to win the argument that they think it's like by any means necessary. And I think at some point you've got to say that that's not, that's not a good word for a Christian. That actually, you know, we follow Jesus who, who was all about the internal and the external, you know, that he was constantly criticizing the Pharisees for being, you know, for, for just being focused on the external. You know, any means necessary does not work for us. That's not a kingdom methodology. Jesus is the person who cares about the how as well as the what of what we do, you know, and motivation, you know, the kingdom is extended, not just by, you know, correct actions. The kingdom is extended by, by us surrendering a bigger part of our brains to Jesus. You know, that, that's, that's how the kingdom extends. It's a surrender to the king of kings. It's a surrender to the king of this kingdom. And that happens when a larger part of our brain and our thought processes 
comes under his rule and reign. And so it's about motivations and thought and and as well as action. You can't just say, well, because we get to this this desired end point that you know it, it was it was all ready to use or it was all ready to lie on the way it was all right to lie it was all right to use these shoddy practices it was all right to do people down it was all right to threaten people it was all right to use any means necessary that just not just no not I'm sorry not not in kingdom terms um, and um, I think you know at, at some point we have to you know say that I guess we're saying it now but you know we're th- we're three years in now um, to post-referendum but we're also you know it's not to pretend that that division that we have in our culture started then you know there was already a cultural divide there was already a lot of people feeling left behind and 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 you know what's happened is that 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 sort of i guess what you would call a cultural divide is is becoming a cultural chasm it's like somebody just sticking a chisel inside it and then just like levering it open the cracks are widening ever further and and my my real fear is that you know if, if we don't call out some of this idolatry, then the the, the the context that we're going to be sitting in is going to be so toxic and so divided and so polarized that it's going to become very difficult to go back across that chasm, to build relationship back across that chasm. And I think that's why we find with Christians in politics, you know, so many of our folks around the country who are coming together from across parties, from across different denominations in various parts of the country, who are learning how to disagree well, learning how to listen to one another. We are learning that... It just just by being, you know, it's yes, it's important to be more polite. Yes, it's important to listen well. Yes, it's important to stop and think before you post something on social media and before you do a knee-jerk tribal response. Like, you know, those things are incredibly important. But the only way you can really disagree well is through relationship really good, deep, meaningful relationship. You know, all of us know that the people we can have a really genuine disagreement with other people who we've got such a strong foundation with in our relationship that's when we can have a good disagreement and so we're calling people to intentional relationship building with people on the other side of the brexit fence and we're seeing some beautiful examples of that working out in different community contexts that it is possible if 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 you get together and put the emphasis on the relationship building then and you start to treat one another as humans <laughs> and then with the listening that then ensues and time on our knees together praying together has also been an incredibly powerful factor because when you're on your knees before a god who knows it all it makes you realize that you don't know it all and it gives us even that slight dose of humility that we need to think well maybe we don't have all the answers maybe there will be something to hear from somebody on the other side maybe you know even if i won't agree with it all maybe there will be something to hear that i need to hear and i think that humility is is so key in this whole debate and and that we're seeing that happen as people come together and pray together um, and that's for some people that's been really difficult because you know harsh words have been said and you know some even you talking to some mps in parliament you know saying how you know lifelong relationships have gone by the by through this brexit story you know that people that they were great they often disagreed with but we're still really good friends with some of those relationships have, have gone and and that's a really serious fracture in our country and and we need to we need to be the peacemakers and the bridge builders. It's a prophetic imperative at this time. I would say it's probably even more important than than which way the Brexit situation even ends up going. I mean, I have, I have strong opinions about that, but but actually a, a divided nation is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. And we see how things are in the States when things are allowed to just slide. You know, the Democrat, Republican, it's almost two separate cultures that live in the one country that increasingly live in different parts of that country that increasingly see things so differently. They're you know, reading different newspapers and watching different news channels. You know, it, it, it's dangerous. And I come from Northern Ireland 
And so I know a lot about two separate cultures living in, in one country. And, and if you're living separately, the fear, the ignorance and the prejudice that rises up in that vacuum, in that in-between space, because you're not actually building relationship with one another. And so, yeah, I'll be heartbroken if, if we keep sliding in that direction. And so so being really you know careful about our language and being careful about what is sacrificed or not <laughs> um, is, is going to be incredibly important in these next few weeks and months. That's really interesting. Um, do you think, obviously, the relationship building is so important and kind of what you said really rings true. Do you think there's ever a point where that relationship building can't take place because the difference is too wide and that perhaps people have sacrificed so much to idols that that relationship's almost not going to work? Um, an example, let's so say you are uh, an immigrant to, to this country and then you've got a, let's say, a Brexiteer who is being racist and using that kind of language and they've sacrificed so much of their self to that idol that they're now willing to to be racist in that regard is that a relationship that can still work or is there a time where you've just got to walk away well i mean that that's quite an extreme example truth truthfully i I think there's i i have seen like we we did a we did an event in leeds and uh and in conversation with some of the folks who've been involved in some of the work there with with immigrants in leeds that it's it, it's 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 surprisingly possible when you have a higher king if you're coming together as, as believers I'm not saying that it's easy uh, and I'm not saying this sort of reconciliation will always have to come about through um, through uh, Christians coming together quite often it'll be folks who aren't believers coming together people from other faiths coming together there have been good examples of that as well but I think it is amazing what can happen when people come together and stop and listen. I think it really helps when you've got a shared focus, when you've got a shared higher power, a higher king, you know, um, that that really helps because, but, you know, and there are times, so I, there's a difference between, uh, you know, uh, forgiving people and having boundaries. So, you know, for, for somebody like in the situation you describe, it might, there might well be a case that to avoid further hurt or avoid further trauma, that it's really wise to draw a boundary line. So I'm not saying that everybody should be able to talk to everybody all the time. We need boundaries in life, but um, but there, but there are also um, there are also some beautiful opportunities for for mutual learning that come from people stopping and listening to one another and saying, you know, well, this is what I feel like we've lost about our culture, and and then they're realizing, well, the stuff that they're mourning is maybe not to do with you know an immigrant coming in, and the, but they actually they're hearing, you know, I've seen beautiful examples of people hearing each other's pain. Because a lot of this stuff often comes from a place of hurt, if we're honest about it. And you know, so when we're hearing um, somebody talk about this stuff, it's you know, it's the stuff behind the stuff that we mm-hmm. need to hear, and we never actually get down to that. Um, it also highlights what you say. Highlights another important point is that <clears throat> we, yeah, we are naive to think that this sort of reconciliation just happens through kind of warm, fuzzy, touchy feely stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why Desmond Tutu's uh, commission in South Africa was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission because there was a, an acknowledgement that to get to a place of reconciliation that there had to be at least some level of forensic examination of what, what had taken place um, to look at what was true and what wasn't true. And I think we are going to need some of that sort of forensic examination in and around the Brexit debate. You know, what was true? What was not true? What have you said that hurt me? What have you said? You know, what's been done and said that people are going to have to bring up that you're not going to be able to just brush under the carpet. But actually stuff whether it's a case that some people will need to be you know sometimes what came and what happened during the 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 truth and reconciliation commission in south africa is that many people were sort of convicted 
in the in the in the personal conviction sense of, of what had taken place and that actually did lead to some repentance which which actually then obviously makes reconciliation much more likely reconciliation without repentance is a very is a difficult thing mm. it's not that relationships can't be built but actually people coming to a place of acknowledging some stuff in our past as maybe not being the healthiest that's important and i know gosh i know that too well from the peace process in my homeland in Northern Ireland as well. So yeah, so we're not it's not to downplay the differences that people have, um, and how hurtful some of those differences may have been, but it's to say that actually the, the only way forward is by is at times swallowing our pride and coming together. Um there 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 is a there is a, a prophetic time to fight and be on the front line and there's a prophetic time to be reconciling. <laughs> Andy, you've given us uh, so much to think about, uh, which I'm sure we'll be digesting and our listeners will be digesting uh, for days. Um, can you briefly tell us how people can get involved with the work of Christians in politics? There's another tour coming up, I believe, and kind of other resources that you've got there. Yeah, easiest way is to check out the website, www.christiansinpolitics.org.uk. And there you'll see all our resources, information about the new tour, um, and especially I point people to the videos on our YouTube channel, Christians in Politics YouTube channel. Um, lots of little animations which sort of tell the story um, with you know in theological terms in a way that's really useful to use in churches or events or small groups. Little two, three minute videos that are really digestible that actually kind of explain you know why we do what we do and make the biblical case for people getting involved not just in politics but in all of public life um and so can i commend those to people that use they're all free to use up there on the website so just download them and enjoy right and the final question we'd love to ask you andy is if you could ask one thing at prime minister's questions to our prime minister what would it be oh one question (laughs) You know, having been around the country for the last decade, making the case for Christians to get involved in politics, I think the question I would have to ask is, do you really think that this is a good idea? (laughs) What we're doing right now, Prime Minister's questions, um, it is the first thing that people mention when they think, oh, politics is a dirty game. Politics is just, it's ridiculous, it's tribal. It looks like I'll have to check my brain in at the door. It looks like I'll have to check my faith in at the door. You know, they look at the pictures from, from a Wednesday noon session in Parliament at Prime Minister's Questions and they go, like, why would I want to be involved in that? That looks pure nonsense. And, and you know, and and you can't really defend that pantomime. It is it is pure nonsense, and but it makes great TV. And so it's the bit that everybody watches every week. It's the bit that news producers want to show everybody. And so it's the thing that people most know from Parliament. And they don't see that it's only like one hundredth of what an MP gets up to during the course of a week. They don't see all the cooperation. They don't see all the working together in committees. They don't see all the sport they play together or the drinking they do together. They, they just see this adversarial thing. And it doesn't describe where most of the relationships are at. And it makes my job so difficult <laughs> <laughs> to convince people that it's a good thing to get involved. And, and it's not a ridiculous thing to get involved. So that's a long answer to the question. But I think I might stand up and I would say, do you think we should shut this down? (laughs) (laughs) Andy Flanagan, thank you very much for joining us on Faith in Politics. My pleasure. Yeah, that was a really great interview um, and a real good chance to reflect on really some of the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian in the political sphere and how to engage with that in a way that is distinct morning Cameron what did you make of that interview yeah I thought he responded really well 
some more questions. We asked him some quite <laughs> difficult things in there, really, um, and he had some really interesting things to say. I think it's one of the one of the fundamental questions that we need to wrestle with as Christians at the moment in kind of such a tense political atmosphere. Kind of how do we disagree well? Um, how do we respect the fact that there are Christians across the divide from us? Um, and it kind of got me thinking about a few different Bible passages. Kind of thinking about when did Christians disagree in the New Testament and how how did they resolve that? One of the things I started thinking about was kind of Peter and Paul uh, and the Council of Jerusalem and whether that kind of offers a, a model of relationship building kind of across divides. Obviously, kind of the big kind of huge divisive issue at the time of the early church was kind of the inclusion of uh, Gentile Christians into the church and whether they had to follow all the laws of Moses. And that was kind of a very divisive issue in some in some ways similar to, to what we see today. We have to be careful about drawing parallels too closely. But I was kind of wondering about whether Peter and Paul could be that kind of model of relationship building that, that Andy was talking about. Both of them were obviously very different people, kind of from different backgrounds, but they still found ways of resolving their differences on this divisive issue. In a way, that took kind of humility on both their parts, but especially on, on Peter's to kind of change his mind on some of those some of those huge issues so that's kind of some of the stuff that i originally leaped out for me what about you yeah i think that's really interesting actually what you're saying about peter's willingness to change his mind i know the majority of us would re- probably really struggle with that right now so actually we might be willing to listen to the other side but actually being willing to to engage with what they're saying and think about why why they've come to the, the views that they have and their conclusions and i think that links again to what Andy was saying about um, recognising the hurt that people are experiencing. And I think so much of that is coming back to the recognition that these aren't abstract systems or groups, but these are real people who have who have been hurt um, in some instances. And therefore to really think about that more and to think about the people rather than necessarily the arguments that they're making. So that's something that I think I was really challenged by with what Andy was saying. Yeah, I guess he didn't, he didn't pretend it was easy. And I think sometimes in kind of discourse about disagreeing well, it kind of becomes this kind of sentimental, oh, oh, can't we just all get along? But when you think about kind of the New Testament and sometimes strong language is used and sometimes real disagreements take place. I mean, you think Jesus Jesus called people a brood of vipers. Like there's, there is strong language there, which is why I really liked Andy's point about there having to be having to be truth before reconciliation. Uh, if our disagreeing well is kind of based on, oh, well, it doesn't really matter what what each other thinks. I think that's where kind of issues can come into play. And I think we can see that in, in Peter and Paul as well, kind of in Acts 15 uh, and in Galatians 2, when Paul talks about the Council of Jerusalem. We see that Peter was being hypocritical. He was kind of saying uh, something differently than what he was doing with regards to the Gentile Christians. But Paul doesn't just kind of let that be and say, oh, well, we've got a different opinion on this. He He calls out Peter's hypocrisy uh, in no uncertain terms and he does that in front of people so I just think we still need to be able to call out in strong terms things that are wrong and when we talk about disagreeing well that that shouldn't prevent that kind of both using strong language occasionally and being able to call out things when they're wrong. Yeah definitely I think the thing again that really struck me was what um, Andy was saying about the people we can disagree with best are those that we have good relationship with. I know for me, that's probably the people I'm closest to. I'm happy to have a good argument with because there's a fundamental trust there uh, that this isn't 
this isn't an attack. And I think that really made me think about the role of relationships in politics. And actually, it's not just a part of politics. It's not something to try and shoehorn in to make it sound more Christian. Mm. Um, But actually, politics fundamentally is about how we live together on this planet. So actually, recognising that is perhaps a good step forward in being able to overcome some of these immensely complicated and technical debates um, that that are being had. Yeah, it's really interesting that yeah, that relationship has to be central. It's not just kind of, it's not an optional extra. It's at the very heart of, of what we do um, as Christians. And I suppose that will make us as Christians more likely to try and retain those relationships, even when they're being strained by disagreement. I suppose at the same time, I was kind of thinking, um, after thinking about Paul and Peter, it also got me thinking about Paul and Barnabas and in the way that they kind of separated from each other later on in Acts 15. And I was thinking about whether is, is that was that just a failure of that relationship building across disagreement or, or was that a recognition that sometimes trying to maintain a close personal relationship across deep division isn't always the most conducive to engaging in God's mission and there might be ways of resolving difference that don't mean having to be best friends after it. Yeah, and I think when we think about what relationships should look like in um, in politics and I guess in the church as a whole, the thing that I was really drawn to is looking at the example of who our God is because rela- a relational God is fundamental to his character. Um, mm. And what I was drawn to there was the passage in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which is one of my favourite passages, so it's quite easy to jump to that passage. Um, but where it talks about Jesus as the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. And I think that is just that pointing to the Trinity of God, that he is a God who is fundamentally in relationship um, and therefore we're called to reflect that and that he is by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And I think that draws me to what Andy was saying about coming together on our knees before a higher king that actually we don't have to put that pressure on ourselves to to be responsible for holding the world together that yes we should be demonstrating to the world how things can be better and showing them a loving um, what a loving society looks like and we can do that by pointing to to a god who holds all things together because it's not on us to have to do have to do that ourselves and finally this passage ends with that through Jesus, um, God reconciled all things to himself and made peace by his blood of the cross. And I think when I read that just recently, it reminded me that actually that peace has been made, that reconciliation has happened. As Christians, we are reconciled to one another, even if it doesn't feel like it all the time. So actually, our challenge is to to come back to that, maybe to come back to the cross, to where where peace was made once and for all, and to recognise that together. Um, and not let the narrative of the deci- divisiveness of politics to to overwhelm us, but actually that yes, we have these we have these differences, but what unites us is so much stronger that the peace and the love and equality and the grace and the reconciliation that's found in the gospel does hold us together. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose it's kind of recognizing that the macro scale stuff the whole reconciliation process and what Jesus has done for us 
takes precedence over kind of the micro stuff of the everyday relationships like that's what you said about humility like we don't know what to do kind of every in every situation but when we kneel before that joint king sometimes we just got to lay lay beside those small disagreements and those nitty-gritty stuff uh, in recognition of of our king together yeah that puts into words what i was thinking very succinctly so that's great it reminds me actually of someone who said to me once that sometimes i struggle to pray because i don't know what to tell god to do and yeah maybe it is that we need to come before god and say we don't necessarily have all the answers but we recognize that the best place for us to maybe find those answers is on our knees before that higher king and i think that's an excellent way to end our monthly musing we have well and truly mused for you This year on Faith in Politics, we want to take the time to consider how what we're hearing about in these interviews and in these musings can actually make a difference in the actions that we live out each day. Um, So Cameron, what is it that you think you will be trying to do having um, listened to Andy this week? Uh, We'll also be heading to the Christians in Politics website, which is at www.christiansinpolitics.com. Dot org.uk and I'll check out the videos they've got there. Maybe I'll even buy Andy Flanagan's book. I think it's called Those Who Show Up. He mentioned that, so maybe I'll check that out. What about you, Razar? Yeah, I think I've been really challenged to take some time to consider how I can engage with the views of people who might be different to my own and consider how their experience that has led them to the views that they have and actually consider that you know, maybe these people are not so different from me um, and actually consider how that can lead to more productive relationships. Well, I think you've got a, got there an insight into the way that <laughs> your new podcast hosts' minds work. I'll go and click on a link and Rosella's going to go and do some <laughs> profound thinking. But there you go. But hopefully you've been challenged by what you've heard this week and we'll be able to go away and put that into action as well. In terms of other things you can do, you can now follow the Faith in Politics podcast on social media. We are now on Instagram and Twitter on Instagram at Faith in Politics podcast and on Twitter at FIP underscore podcast. We'd love you to really get involved in the social media accounts. We want to hear your views. Um, Yeah, really start a conversation around these really big topics that we want to cover this year. Thank you for joining us on Faith in Politics, a podcast brought to you by the Joint Public Issues team of the Baptist Union of Great Britain, Church of Scotland and the Methodist and United Reformed Churches. Please leave us a rating or review on iTunes if you value what we do on this podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and there'll also be a survey going out on social media and in the JPIT newsletter. So please do fill that in if you've listened to the podcast before. We really would value your feedback. We hope you'll join us again next month. And to finish, we have a closing blessing from a member of the Joint Public Issues team, Josie Horton. As you go about the rest of your day, may you seek to speak truth in every situation. Strive for reconciliation through the forming and strengthening of relationship. And in humility, fix your eyes on the higher King, through whom all divisions will ultimately be healed. Amen.